Okay. Um, we started this um, major piece that is basically I put together two uh, two Yotzei with a rub spoke Divri Agada, 61 and 64. Um, I was present at uh, both these Yotzei Shiurim, and uh, what I'm reproducing here, of course, is based upon my notes, uh, which at that point already were extensive and good, because uh, by that stage in life already, uh, either, either you made it or you had to go back to the minor leagues. Uh, however, I will say that halavai, halavai, uh, these tapes should someday surface. I would imagine that uh, the family has, uh, has these tapes, and I, I also would venture an educated guess that uh, uh, they will see published form perhaps even during our lifetime. However, the additional uh, fact that I added last week is very important because uh, when you hear the 61 uh, Yardside Russia and you don't realize that this is the Rav right after he basically is starting to recover and feel his strength because one year earlier he has a very serious operation and I don't have to tell you in those days uh, cancer, I believe it was of the intestine if my memory serves me correctly uh, it was mamish sakanat nefashat of the full feeling of the word. Not only that, when you go through a, a major operation, and uh, we all understand that uh, at first you've just barely recovered, you don't have your strength back, and then slowly but surely your strength starts to come back, and if the operation is successful, and Baruch Hashem, uh, they remove the cancer, uh, you feel like you're reborn. And the Rebbe's Divrei Torah here, where he begins with the tilt chaylet, and again, I heard this many times for the Rebbe in many different contexts, but never did I hear it as movingly, as poignantly, as this particular time, and it reflects his own life. And of course, what the Rebbe says is absolutely true, that when you come to tilt chaylet, two totally, completely different pshatim. Rashi is totally pessimistic, tichla, avelot, shikul, uh, the, the, the lowest part of man that uh, the great human being uh, ultimately uh, faces no more than a black future if I can use that term of a black future of death and on the other hand you have the Ramban where the Ramban develops the idea and it's based upon a Gemara in Menachat uh, as I recall uh, it's a fabulous idea with the Trelet Kolel Hakol the ultimate of human achievement of human soaring of human aspiration the, the heavens, the earth, that man can, can fly so high. And it's, it's just magnificent how you have this contradiction. And uh, here it is, Rashi, quoting Rabbeinu Moshe Hadashan, vis-a-vis the Ramban. And the Rav says that absolutely both are correct. And he describes the human predicament, how the human being will always try to achieve the trelet of the Ramban. But it's a difficult uphill battle. And in that battle... We can't appreciate the achievement unless we have first fallen. And uh, the Rav therefore says that both Shatam are correct. And I don't have to tell you, uh, the man is talking about his own life, and, and this is every human being. Is there, is there a human being who walks the face of the earth over the age of 21 who can't identify with those words? And uh, I, I remember Bishat Ma'aseh, it was extremely moving, and you'll hear later, again, the Rav comes back, who refer to it. Then he went in, uh, what do we mean, this falling and this rising, 
and he went into the Vatipakachne in Eishnehem, where Adam Vachava, what do you mean you're naked? And the whole question, they, they, they already put on fig leaves. How are you naked? And here, of course, the tremendous description of man wanting to conquer all, master of all, lord of all, and uh, he recognizes how far he's fallen. And it's only after you recognize that the uh, fig leaves are not proper clothes, it's only then when you're totally broken and recognize that you're falling into the tichlev, despair, blackness of, of human pessimism, of human predicament, at that point, when you're ready to confess, then you can rise and come back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu has mercy on us and puts on proper clothes and teaches man how you can achieve the tchelet of the Ramban. And we ended off um, last week, of course, this was the Rav's explanation of the refrain during the Slichat, and the Rav asked a very simple question that to act foolishly is simply one of our many sins. Once you say, why are you getting involved with, with one of the sins? If you're going to specify, specify every sin. And the Rav said so beautifully that no, in this sense, the foolishness is the source of sin. It's not just one of the sins. It's the source of sin. It's only after a person has acted foolishly and after a person fools himself that's where he can build the world of sin without the foolishness the hate cannot begin and of course this too is is a very what what words can we use it is so true it is tangible all of us that have seen life uh, when you talk to a Jew who's not observant no one in the world is going to say I'm not observant, I'm a sinner. Uh, there are, I imagine there are extreme examples where a person will tell you I don't care and I can do whatever I want. But most people will construct a world of, of folly and you'll start asking them, I'm conservative, tradition and change. Uh, you have no choice, you can write in the Sabbath. The rabbis made innovations. Hillel T. King Cruzbull. Anyone who's familiar with the conservative movement knows that the whole conservative movement stands on Hillel T. King Cruzbull. And you know, anyone who's a Talmud Chacham, at that time, Shemitah was the Rabbanan. He didn't do anything. He took advantage of another halacha. If you give a shtat to Beitin, Beitin's allowed to collect for you. Uh, but with, with, with Hillel taking principle, you wind up driving to Shulan Shabbos. You wind up totally abolishing mikveh tart mishpacha. You wind up eating fish in a treif restaurant. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and, and these people, this is our tragedy. That once they build the world of folly around it, it's very hard to penetrate. They, because they are ready, sin is not a sin. And the Rub's word here is fabulous. Because the only way you can get them to realize that the sin is not a sin, the world of folly has to be destroyed. And in order to destroy a world of folly, ah, oh, here already, this is, this is the most difficult challenge for us altogether. Now, I just want to say in parentheses, um, making it more practical, and, and this is something so crucial for everyone in the kolel to know and hear and listen and think, you see, the Muslim movement had a lot of opposition. 
And all my life, as one who grew up in the Muslim movement and was trained by the Muslim movement and educated by the Muslim movement, and you, you know that I'm very proud, I'm not proud of many things in my life, but one thing I'll allow myself to be slightly proud of, I'm the only person that the mashkich of the yeshiva, who was yet a link with the Alt of Slabatka in yesteryear, I'm the only person he gave smicha to all the years he was in the United States of America. And I grew up on the mashkich's lap. And it always bedeviled me as I grew older and devoted myself to study and more study. Thank God I'm still, from that point of view, I'm still young. I'm still studying and learning and conquering new worlds. And I thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu wasn't chronologically and not young. But the intellectual curiosity, I have more than my own students who, 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 who are less than half my age. So it always bothered me. Why was there such opposition to the Muslim movement? And... I was never really satisfied. I can give many reasons why there was opposition. I can't go into it now. And you know, the Rub's uh, classic explanation in Ish Halacha, which I hold to be classic of classics. But even with that, I was never totally satisfied. When I got involved with Rebbe Chiyal Yaakov's uh, analysis of the Muslim movement, and later Rebbe Dov Katz in his classic work, so there was one point that overwhelmed me. And that point... I want to tie in with these words of the Rav. I didn't say this last week, but I'm saying this now in parentheses because I feel this is so crucially important to us and where we're at. And that point is very fascinating. What did the Muslim movement do? The Muslim movement got us involved with introspection, self-analysis. This was one part of the Muslim movement. You separated from the world, you went into a Muslim there's now in Israel a whole movement underway of this meditation. And uh, some people I know are involved in it. And they, they swear to me they're Shomer Shabbos, they're, they're, they're from, they say it's not against Torah. It's, it's an appendix to Torah. They meditate. And it gives them the ability to, to go further, not to let life overwhelm them. All right. And I said of what? I said of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta were here. He developed the Musa clouds for people like you. That's what it was all about. You went into a Musa clouds, you meditated, you thought, you, you were pensive, you analyzed. Now, do you know that Gedoli Yisrael were worried by this? Why? Why were they worried? What's wrong? Because of a famous cloud. We are not angels. We're humans. When you start to meditate, to contemplate, to take apart your very psychological uh, motives and why we act the way we act, they were worried you're getting involved in a netherworld, in a gray world. You're getting involved in a world where not always can you put it together again. And I'll tell you, overwhelming, of all the reasons against Musa, this reason, which is really profound, it's overwhelming to me. And what it means is very simple. I'll give you a simple example. A Rebbe, I, I walk into the room at Reshit Maria at the start of the year. I'll, I'll give you the example al Basari on my own flesh. So I walk in at the start of the year and all the girls stand up. And I told the girls, I don't want them to stand up. I don't believe in this business of standing up. You don't know me. What are you standing up for? It's a Maisakov. I said, at the end of the year, at the very last lecture, if you want to stand up, I'll accept it. 
Okay, fine. But believe me, by the end of the year, by the very last lecture, the girls have long since forgotten that they're allowed to stand up the last lecture, so it's out the door. So someone can say, you, you, you see this event happening, someone can say, let's analyze Rakefit's mind. Is he humble and modest? Or no, is he really arrogant? And a part of showing off his arrogance is really saying to the girls, I don't need your standing up for me. Now, this is a... We banish Shalilam. Are we obligated to start analyzing ourselves like this? And, and this is why they were opposed to Musa. Now, let me make it more tangible. When I learned in Lakewood, and I yet, as you know many times, I tell you I was privileged, I yet, as in a third-generation American, growing up on the lap of Joe DiMaggio, I yet was privileged to be in, to be in Litter, to be in Europe, to be in Kiln, as close as one could come. Lakewood had a tremendous impression upon me. As the years went by, so much of my scholarship, some of you have read what I've published, look under the Rakafet Aaron, some of my pieces on the Musa movement, on the Litvisha Gedolim, they're nice pieces because I felt it, I lived it. So in Lakewood, there was one fellow, an Altekletzka, not totally normal. Every Shabbat he'd eat in a different hotel, he'd come back and he would tell stories. There were a few kosher hotels in Lakewood. I was a kid, a kid has to know everything. So I asked around, what's the story with this guy? So there were two versions. One version was the Muslim movement. He already was off his mind in Europe. The other version was the Holocaust. The older I got, I understood the first version was correct. That this was an, a someone that never put his act back together. And he took himself apart, the introspection, the retrospection, the analysis. He never got his act back together. This is why there was opposition to the Muslim movement. All of you know the Gemaras, it's, uh, I, I can't go into detail now, but you all know what I'm talking about. The Kohen, a Kohen, Alpidin, we paskin, big day kuna, lav lehenut mitnu. Big day kuna. A coin, if you're a coin and you're out on a date and you want to impress your girlfriend, you can't walk into the Hilton Hotel wearing your big day kahuna to show her you're a coin. I just came from the base of Migdish, it's a few blocks away from the Hilton Hotel. You're going to walk into the lobby, imagine with your big day kahuna. Asa, it's not as manavolda to impress your girlfriend, it's not with big day kahuna. Big day, again, big day kahuna, love lanot nitnu. Then the Gemara raises a problem. Hey, wait a minute. If this is the case, when a Kohen finishes the Avolda, in the middle of the base of Mignesh, he should strip naked. He has to take off the clothes. The Avolda is finished. So the Gemara says, However, We're not angels. And part of being a human being is we allow the Kohen to walk back to the lockers on the side of the base of Mignesh, and he changes into his weekday clothes in the locker room. So the same thing here. A person, you can't start analyzing. And, and, and a person davens with kavana. And then you analyze, why do I daven with kavana? Do I daven with kavana because I really have kavana? Or do I daven with kavana because I want to impress the other boys so they should tell the girl I'm taking out that I'm a big tzaddik. You know, and it can go on and on and on and on. And this was an interesting reason why they opposed Masa. Now, what the Rev said here, when you build up a world of folly around sin is crucial to the Chiva movement. And here you come to a very delicate problem. It, it, this is what I alluded to a minute ago, is what the Rav said. People will not do Chiva unless they recognize 
that their world is a world of folly. You can't go over to a reformed rabbi, a conservative rabbi, you're going to start arguing, why are you Mechalo Shabbos? You can't go over to a Chiloni Jew in Israel, why are you Mechalo Shabbos? They'll look at you, well, this is not for me, Shabbos is not for me, you're religious, I'm not religious, freedom of choice, uh, a reformed Jew will say, this is our tradition today, you have your tradition, multi-traditions, uh, uh, what's the word they use, uh, 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 what's the word they introduced? Uh, pluralism, pluralism, everything is pluralism. Ah, but when you can come over and say to him, you, you pierce his world, whatever the words are, but for the sake of argument, you say to him, could you look your great-grandfather in the eye? Where would he be today if Jews from Mechal Shabbos 100 years? So you can break him. When you break his world, he can start to think in terms of tshuva. But here's what's crucial. In order to break a person's world, you have to know how to rebuild the world. And this is one of the most delicate problems in the Baal Shiva movement. I used to say about Kalbach in the early 70s, Kalbach reached Israel. And I used to say about Kalbach that Kalbach was the greatest individual I knew of getting a person to break the world, Hashem no Alno. But beyond that, there was always danger. Why? Because some of the Kalbach people never rebuilt their worlds properly. Kalbach there at a certain point, you had to go beyond him. You understand what I'm saying? If you remained on the Kalbach, they used to describe Modian and when it began in the 70s, remember the description, the news, they, they would wake up in the morning and they would daven and then they would decide whether they should work that day or contemplate. And, you know, it depended on the mood, depended on the guitar, depended on the, the, the emanations from God. And I knew some of these original Kalbacher here. One of them was a student of mine. She married a boy from America. She was all of 18 when she got married. Her parents didn't come to the wedding. He was 20. She was 18. I have to tell you, it's many decades, many years later, and they have endless grandchildren. The marriage worked out beautifully. The parents were Jose Bechuva. But on that level, I mean, it was shocking to the parents, the Kalbach crowd. Remember, we had a girl, we had a girl in, in Michala. Rabbi Koopman, of course, had a lot of difficulty dealing with anyone who was a little bit off the beaten path. He was Rol Dave the girl, Rol Dave Kalbach. And my attitude was give her a chance. Kalbach sparked her. She's going to go further and further. I don't know what happened there. I remember with that girl there were problems. And I don't know whether she really remained and she really developed as she should have. There were problems. But, but, this is a meridic concept. You have to pierce the world. But when you pierce that world, you better sure know how to put it together. And here's where you've got to pay credit to Labavitch or to NCSY. Why? Labavitch began a system of piercing worlds, but they had an entire world to take its place. And of course, Kozman the Rebbe functioned the world was totally normal. Today, of course, we suffer from the fallout of the late 80s into the 90s with the Messianics. It, it, it is tragic, mamish tragic, because it mars the great achievements of Lubavitch. You take NCSY, it's an entirely structured world today. Literature and writings and outreach and camps and tours and learning and keeping in contact and Vibanish Alolam, the NCSY, can you, how can we even measure the Scott? There must be tens of thousands of boys and girls that became Shomra Torah Mitzvah to the NCSY. And I can tell you from my own teaching experience, particularly Midrashit Maria, it's hard to tell them the Kohel, 
the finest students I ever had in Midrashat Maria, the finest, were NCSY. And the minute I had one girl, a daughter of Reformed Rabbi, till today she keeps in touch with me. I was overwhelmed. And the minute I hear a girl, I have a girl this year too. The minute I hear a girl didn't go to a, a, high, a religious high school. She, you know, she tells me she went to John F. Kennedy High School or whatever high school it's called. Bill, Monica and Bill High School. The minute a girl tells me that, I say one word to her. I say NCSY, she tells me yes. The minute I hear that word NCSY, and this I want to say with all my heart and soul, I shall know Alnu Vichatanu. I salute Lubavitch. I salute NCSY. I salute them because they know how to show this Ne'ilah. But more important, you understand, to destroy someone's world is not the greatest challenge. The greatest challenge is how to rebuild it properly, that the person will not wind up caught between two worlds. And that's a delicate problem. I've often thought about it. One time, I remember in the, in the 70s, we were dealing with the, is it better, is it better to start up with someone, Machalo Shabbos knows nothing, but the end result will be, yes, you'll make him into a semi-Shoma Shabbos, but he'll be psychologically sick. And it's an, a very delicate question. And my answer always used to be, don't start up, unless you have a way to finish properly to inspire. And I never forgot it. And that's the Muslim movement. With all the reasons you can give for the opposition to Rabbi Yosalanta, and I'm not minimizing my Rebbe's approach. Believe me, if you've heard my lectures on, on Ishalacha, there's nothing in Ishalacha that I'm more overwhelmed with than when he explains his opposition to the Muslim movement. And I actually have it in my work on the Rav, uh, again, I have to apologize, but I, I even feel I improved upon the translation of Larry Kaplan. I asked Larry's permission because the Rav went over that translation. But I said to Larry, your English is the Rav and you came up with Germanic English. Understand? The fact that the Rav went over it only means the translation was accurate. But all it means is it was accurate with Germanic English. If you know the way the Rav wrote Hebrew, wrote Germanic Hebrew. You understand what I'm saying? The, if you know, anyone know what I'm referring to? Anyone here study German? German run-on sentences apart for the course. A German sentence of 50 words is not abnormal. When you write English like that or Hebrew like that, it's abnormal. That's the way the Rav wrote, because evidently the first language he mastered in writing outside of Hebrew and Yiddish was German. So, humbly I say, you'll see my translation, I put in a few periods when I felt I could break it down. But that part with her, but with everything that the Rav says, and with everything Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg says, and with everything that Tua Tamusa, this idea appeals to me the most. Okay, now let me go further. So now, if this is correct, that you have to break down the world of falsehood, and you have to break down the world of the Aleiteina, and you have to break down the world of Tichla, the world of Ni'ilah, so the Rab says, this is why we were a Talit at the time of davening. What does it mean, a Talit? A Talit shows that our own clothes are not the ultimate clothes. Ultimately, what counts is the begid with the tzitzit. We have to totally enwrap ourselves with a Talit. And the Rab said, what the Talit is symbolic of the human being saying to the Kaddish Baruch Hu, I am naked. My own clothes, I am naked. Please, 
Let me wear your clothes. When you recognize that and recognize that our own clothes are worthless, and of course it's a symbolism. Our clothes represent our lifestyle. We sitting here in this room, of course, the YU world, the so-called centrist world, modern orthodox world, but for that matter, even a chassid, even a person in black clothes, what does it represent? There's nothing inherently sacred to black clothes. Nothing inherently sacred to the robes that a Shvadik Talmud Chachem wears to the Kotel on a Friday night. But when you cover it with the Talit, this is saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Mimamakim karit karateche Hashem. My clothes are not the ultimate. Without the Talit, I am naked. Without the Talit, I have not gone down to despair. Once I put on the Talit, what does it indicate? Everything below it is not the ultimate truth. And that's why the Talat becomes so important. And here the Rav said, spoke about his own life. And here's the famous words that uh, I heard with my own ears. And it's, uh, it's so sad. The Rav said, you know when I felt this? And you have to understand, again I say this in parentheses, look at the Rav's life. Here was a kid born with a golden spoon of Torah in his mouth. I mean, we banish Elohim. His father was Reb Meishek. His grandfather was Reb Chaim Brisker. His other grandfather was Rebellia Pujana. His mother herself, Reb Pesha, was a great Talmidah Chachama. Here is a kid, where did he grow up? His formative years are spent in Chaslavich. It's spent among Chabad Chasidim. I mean, you can't find a better environment at that time. He comes to Warsaw, the Gera Chasidim, the Majestic Chasidim. He comes, he comes to, uh, to, to, to Berlin. He gets involved with, with Hildesheimer, with Professor Reagan Mitvach, with Rabbi Chiel Yaakov Weinberg, Rabbi Chaim Heller. Comes to Bo- Golden Life. Everything is going from, and even with the setbacks in the rabbinate, which were real, I don't deny those were terrible setbacks, but then he comes to YU, he finds his place, he's revered, he's loved, he's feared, he can do whatever he wants already, he reaches the point in life when in 55, he tells the audience of the YU rabbinic alumni, he says, I'll let you in on a secret, I don't need my salary from the yeshiva anymore, he says, I'm not loyal to the yeshiva because I need a paycheck, I can get along without it, you fellas don't know, some of you are wealthy, some of you have careers, some of you have made money already, you know what it means for a rabbi, I can tell you what it means the greatest compliment anyone can pay me is to tell me that I always was independent, never let anyone interfere with my thinking. I said what I thought. I could be right or wrong, but at least I was honest. You don't know what it means. A rough to be independent. You have no hasago what those words mean. I understand the rough very well. I lived it. I know what he's talking about. And life is going great. And he has fine children. And he's about to have a son-in-law, a gona, a dear, a son-in-law that he prayed for. For this child he prayed for. You have no hasaga. I, 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 I can tell you a story. It's not for, I won't, wouldn't publish it. But I remember I walked in. I, I, told, I told this story. I don't know when. But I walked in. I had to see Mr. Abrams. I even remember why. I was there with my chavritter, Ray Weinberg. We had to see Mr. I remember why. I, I, I even remember exactly why. So we're waiting for the office to open, it's, and it's where Rabbi Chalab sits today. And when the office opens, the Rav walks out. We walk into Mr. Abrams, and he says to us, we were, you know, about 21, 22 at the time. He says, you think that man has everything? So he say, we look at him, he says, what he wants the most in life, he doesn't have. So we say to Mr. Abrams, what are you referring to? He says, he'd give anything to have about a Lichtenstein for a son-in-law. 
But Tova doesn't want. And at that time, Tova was going, I remember, with a guy from the Israel, he used to sit in the Shia, Aaron was going with a Stern College girl, I can tell you who the girl is, it's not for the microphone, she's a grandmother today, uh, very happily married, a, a, a classmate of Rabarin. And then the miracle happened that Tova and Aaron both split with their, the people they were going out with, found each other on the rebound, and here's the Rav that had these men in the life. You know, you have to understand the Rav. It's a, to get a son-in-law, like a parent, look, this was a son-in-law, pardon me, that's Matim, this is the Rav son-in-law. And it's not a Hasidic world. Hasidic world, you order your daughter around, you order your son around, your Talmud around, your son-in-law, it's, it's not the Hasidic, it's a Litvish world. And here he is, the happiest man alive, that he raised the daughter in Boston, about to marry a Godel Shebegadolim, a giant, you all know, I have to praise Rabbi Lichtenstein to you. I mean, I had students went to Panovich. They came back and told me there was no one in Panovich who came to Rabbi Lichtenstein. Yeah, I don't want to mention all those, the golden days of Panovich. But all right. And then with it all, with this all, the rough takes ill. And I remember the rumors. I remember the, I was right there. I was right in it. I was, I was right in the heart of it. And he gives the hespit for the brisker rav. And the next day he enters the hospital. And the Rub says, he'll never forget the night before his operation. I'm quoting the Rub now, word by word. And word by word, this was the Rub's greatness. He could share the most intimate feelings with thousands of people. Everyone doesn't understand that. Israelis, when you read Penchus Pali's introduction, Tala Chuva, he doesn't understand. He mentions that to Israeli minds, it's strange that the Rav could share innermost feelings. Uh, so I always used to say, this is why Israeli religious Jewry looks the way it looks. A bunch of, at that time, half-baked idiots, pardon me. But at least in America, we came out of nothing, and look what we reached out to, look what we achieved today, that David Hollander should say, reform a conservative, that's not Judaism, and the world is still going crazy three years later. It's something you don't even start to understand what's happened here. And, Ameri- and Israel, thank God, learned from America, Vimadav Sainayid. And, and the rub, this was his greatness, and he was shy and diffident. People didn't realize this, and he was, he was not a, not a person who could be friendly with the masses. How could be friendly with Amayaretz? You understand? He had acquaintances. He didn't have friends. There's a difference. He couldn't be. And, and here's the rub in front of thousands of people. I'll never forget how the rub says the last night he describes how he says goodbye to his wife, to his children, to his friends. And he says, all my life I fooled myself. I always believed that my wife, my children could help me, my students could help me, my friends could help me. He says, that night I realized I was naked. I was a rom. I took off my clothes. I realized that I had fooled myself. All I was wearing until now were fig leaves. And he said, that night I broke down and cried and prayed HaKadosh Baruch Hu with all my heart and soul. That night I realized that no one can help me, only HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That night I first became and recognized what Tichla meant, what the Tchelet of Rashi That night I finally understood how much I had fooled myself in my previous years. And he said, this is why we have to wear tzitzit when we daven. It reminds us, don't get carried away by your position in life, 
by your clothes in life, by your titles, by your fame. Hilchat Sitzit, Perikimel, Halach Yuralef, Ubeshat Atfila, Tsarichli, he's a hair beyotair, Liyota Tuf, Biksut, Hamukhyevit, Bitsitzit. It's a Meritic Rambam. All of you know that Sitzit is, it's no mitzvah to go out and buy Sitzit. No mitzvah. The mitzvah is, if you have a beggar of four corners, you have to put Sitzit on. But a Jew can go all his life and never wear a beggar of four corners and never wear tzitzit. That's the halal. Excuse me? Ah, so that's what we're saying. That's what the Rambam is warning us. Ubishat, that even those that are in Makhud, we're Makhud, the Ashkenazim of Makhud, 100%, we go out, we all make it our business to wear a beggar of Dalit Knafat to bring ourselves to a chi of tzitzit. All of you know that among the Balai Tshuva, and you can see it's Friday night at the Kotel, and to me it's a little bit of not rebuilding the proper world, but I have to respect them. They walk around with sweaters that are cut all the way up, with tzitzit, with trelet. I don't have to tell you, the Kalbach minion at the Kotel, Friday night. Again, it's, I come back to what, what, to what I said of, of ten minutes ago. Some of those characters at the minion are caught between two worlds. I, but nevertheless, I pray, I hope, they're going to rise, come all the way. But... Even those that are in Makhted, but the Shastfila, to wear a Ksut Why? Because Shatfila, you have to show a Kaddish Baruch Hu, I am naked. My clothes do not count. Only a begged with Sitzit, this is the proper clothes. How Bishani Bivagadecha. This is the proper acknowledgement. And this is what the Rub said that night, and I don't have to, I, I, I cannot tell you, you know, as a kid, how moving it was to me. It matured me beyond my years, because a kid doesn't understand what illness is, what human frailty is. A kid has strength and energy. A young person like you, you fellas in your mid-twenties, late-twenties, you're going to conquer the world. And here the man I respected the most, the Gadol Hadar, imagine how he felt the night before the operation, absolutely naked. Ah, what a moment in time. What a lesson in time. And of course, all of you know that this is the start of the Rav's, uh, the whole process of mellowing. The whole process that what uh, Rav Chaim Soloveitchik spoke about. Rav Chaim spoke very well on the Shloshim. Maybe some of you were there. But when Rav Chaim spoke about it, this begins the mellowing process. Lower Lenu, a human being can be brave and big and strong and, and, and feel his Wheaties and, and wear his clothes and, and suddenly imagine a cancer operation, illness. Within a few years, his wife, Lower Lenu, the triple Avelut, the total personality of the rough changed. It was a tremendous mellowing. What year? It's 1960. So what he's describing here is 1959, the end of 59. The operation was at the end of 59. He came back to the yeshiva. It was about March of 1960 when the Rev returned. He was very pale, very gaunt, very weak. And this is the Yatsai Russia, January 1961, where for the first time he's starting to come back to his strength. But the operation, the scare, the lingers on, the Pshitat Habagadim, and this is the beautiful confession the night before the operation. Okay. And here we come to Meredith Torah. Now, the Rav said this in, at that point, 
Uh, later years, I learned that part of this he took from the Vilna Gaon. I don't recall at the time that he said it was from the Vilna Gaon. And again, he, in Jewish in general, the Rav used to say there's no such thing as a Chiddush in Jewish. The Rav used to say you can develop Jewish, but it's always going back. The Rav once said in front of a few thousand people, when it comes to Jewish, there's Genuva Tiyom or Genuva Tilayla. You know, by, by uh, Yaakov Avinu, when he worked for Lovin. So the Rav said, what's the difference? Genuva Tiyom is when you acknowledge who you got it from. Genuva Tilayla is when you don't acknowledge. A lot of the Rav stores go back to the Medrashva Masa. You know what I'm talking about. Rabbi Yecheskel Lifshitz, the Rav used to say that Rabbi Chaim held the Medrashva Masa on his desk. But, but when you look into the Medrashva Masa, you see a, a kernel of the thought. The Rav took it and developed it, worked out. Well, that's not Shinnah. You saw what I did on Monday. I took a kernel of the Rav's thought with, with Saint Teacher and King Teacher, and I developed it. That's not Shinnah. So here too, I have to tell you, if you hear similar words or the, the, the gist of the idea in the name of the Vilna Gon, it's correct. It's from the Gon. Shmuel Aleph, Perik Aleph, Sukkim Chet Yud. The famous story, Elkanah and Hana. And it's a beautiful description. Hannah has no children, but she has a husband who loves her dearly. And here they are at the shrine bringing karbonot, and there is Hannah crying, distressed, not partaking. And her husband, who truly loves her, Elkanah, says to her, What are you so upset about? Why aren't you eating? Why are you crying? I love you more than as if you had ten sons. Beautiful. Words of comfort. Vatitpalel al... Hashem What a description. She finally eats. She drinks a little. She's very disturbed. And she just moves away, walks away, and not only prays, but jumps on God. And the Rav asked, what happened this year? Why was she answered? Why was Shmuel born? And what about all the years that she kept on going up to Shiloh year after year so many times in the past and nothing happened? And the Reb said, we can understand what happened. Look what happened in the past. Time and again she would cry. Time and again Elkanah would comfort her. Time and again he would talk on her heart, to her heart. Don't worry about it. You're going to have children. God will listen to your prayers. Okay. She was comforted. Life went on. It's like going to a Hasidic Rebbe. And all of you know, you go to a Rebbe. I have a student. As a matter of fact, uh, you know her. She is convinced. She told me this years ago. She has a younger sister, much younger. Parents had a lot of trouble. 
having children after she was born. And she once told me, you know, without any doubt, that her youngest sister is a gift from God due to the Lubavitcher Rebbe's intercession. No doubt about it. Went to a Rebbe, the Rebbe gave a bracha, and that year her mother conceived and held on to the child, and the child was born, and Halavai should be zarecha to teach that child. You go to a Rebbe, you feel good, you walk out, gave a bracha. One year went by, two years went by, ten years went by, and this year, look what happens. She's crying like she cried in the past. But for the first time, Elkanah tells her the truth. He says, what are you crying about? Make peace with your situation. I love you as if you've had ten children. What, do you lack anything? I shower you with jewelry, with love, with affection. What do you lack? What's missing? What could be better? Stop your crying already. Stop your foolishness. Make peace with your God, with your destiny in life. This is it. This is your fate. So there are no children. This year for the first time, he spelled it out to her. He didn't encourage her. He didn't give her false hope. This is it. You didn't pass the exams once, twice, thrice. You're not going to get the degree. You're not going to attain it. Make your peace with the situation. So you won't be a doctor. So you'll be a medical assistant, a medical aide. When he said that to her, for the first time she realized she has no friend, no husband. Every year she felt my husband is with me, understands my pain, my anguish. He comforts me, he encourages me. For the first time she realized even her beloved husband didn't understand her desire to be a mother, to put her womb to use, to do something to populate the earth. To achieve the ultimate desire implanted in every woman at that ontological moment of creation. Chava, the hiyem, kol For the first time she recognized no one is with her. And for the first time she realized she had been naked until now. She had fooled herself. She had misled herself. And for the first time, she removed all her clothes, all the rationale, all the ni'ila. For the first time, she became Marat Nefesh. She recognized no one is with her, no one cares, even her beloved husband. And for the first time, she threw herself on God. She prayed, Vatit Palel Al Hashem. The word al, a very strange word. What should we say in basic Hebrew? Vatit palel el Hashem, to God. Yes, ten previous years she prayed to God. She prayed like we all pray, half-heartedly. We're good people, we're wonderful people, we're not sinners, we're tamidei chachamim, we're yerei shemayim, and we're praying to Hashem. But it's el Hashem. 
This time she removed all the nuances of falsehood and rationale. The world she had built for so many years. The ni'ilah ashel no'alnu v'ashechatanu v'atitpalel al Hashem. And at that moment, when you've removed the vanity of false clothes and assurances, and you throw yourself upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Mimamakim Kraticha Hashem. How do we refer to God in Rosh Hashanah? Zocher Nishkachat. The Almighty, who remembers that which is forgotten, that which is hopeless, that which is helpless. At that moment, God remembered Chana. And that's the Pshat. In the davening, so cher kol hanishkachat atahu meolam. When the rest of the world forgets, when the rest of the world pushes you aside, when the rest of the world has forgotten you and your quests and your desires and your dreams and your visions, when the rest of the world mocks you for still having hope, at that moment, when your world is destroyed before your eyes and you fall into the depths of despair, mimamakim karite Hashem, at that moment, God has not forgotten and God finds you worthy and that year, Chana was blessed with a child. Vatitpalel El Hashem. And the Rav went further. And the Rav said, in order to do tshiva, no one can do tshiva without taking off their clothes, without removing the fig leaves, without falling into despair. It is a sine qua non requirement. Shmuel Aleph, Perik Yud, Psukim Tet Yud. Beautiful description. Shal HaMelech has just met Shmuel Hanavi. Everything that was prophesied has come to pass by Yahayakaf Noto Shichmo Lalechet Meyim Shmuel Veyafochlo Elohim Levacher Vayavol Kolo Toteila Bayom Hahu. Shmuel, teenager, tall, handsome, goodly and godly, searching for his father's lost mules, meets the prophet, and the prophet tells him these miracles that will happen and that he will be king. And everything happens as the prophet says. And he turns... And youth, vigor, vim, vision, strength, confidence... Chaylet, 
Shemayim, Kisei HaKavod, Drakia, the Ramban. And then he sees a group of prophets and the young Shaul joins them immediately and starts prophesying. And then you look, Shmuel Aleph, Perik Yutet, Psukum Yutet, Kaftalid, many years later, years have gone by, light years of life, achievement, frustration, defeat, despair, anger, mistakes, tragedy. And once again, Shaul prophesies. But look at the difference. Here he is chasing Davar HaMelech. Am I right, Shlomo? Remember, Gedengst? Chasing Davar HaMelech. And their prophets and those that come get caught, start prophesying. They tell him where David is. He sends more messengers, more messengers. Capture David HaMelech. And as the soldiers go to capture him, they get caught up with the spirit of the prophets. Finally, he couldn't take it. He sent the Sayyarat Hamatkal and, and, and the most elite units in the Israeli army. And, and Barak was with them. And Mordechai was with them. And they all wound up prophesying. Could you picture? Barak became a prophet. Ehud Barak. Now I understand why Rav Amital embraced him so warmly. David, I wouldn't go near the OU on Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. Because Rakhefet is going to let off so much steam against Rav Amital, the building will burst. And Yitzhak Mordechai became a prophet. One after another, every unit, Sayeret Matkal, you can't get better than that. Finally, Shaul was disgusted. What kind of soldiers are you? What kind of Malachim are you? Malachim in the sense of messengers, not angels. You're a disgrace. Your commander-in-chief gave you a task to do. And you don't do it. And Vayelach Kamhu Harmata. Shal Hamelech Bukvaldoviatsmo went up the mountain to the Golan Heights. And lo and behold, there are the prophets. He joins them and look what we are told. Vayipshal Kamhu Bagadav. It became a rabbinic aphorism, right? Hagam Shaul Banavim, Hagam David Banavim, Hagam Shlomo Banavim. What a description. Took off his clothes, naked, prophesied. Shal Hamelech. What's happened here? And the Reb said so beautifully, Shal Hamelech was a prophet twice in his life. When he was young, a teenager, and many years later, when he had reigned as king of Israel for so many years. Twice he was a prophet. But there was one tremendous difference 
of how he prophesied. The second time, he had to take off his clothes to prophesy. When he was young, he had no sins. He had no false world. The Hashem Zu He accepted God, the directives of the prophet of Shmuel Hanavi, Belevu Venefesh. There was no hate of Amalek. There was no hate of letting the people, the masses, mislead him. Later in life, when he's chasing Davach HaMelech and suffers from depression and schizophrenia, at that point, he could no longer prophesy because he was wearing fig leaves. He was fooling himself. He was living in a world of rationale, a world of foolishness, a world of ni'ilah. And at that moment, when the great King Saul has to prophesy again in order to achieve the words of the Lord, had to take off his clothes, take off the fig leaves, admit to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not only have I sinned, but I have built a world of falseness around the sin. I'm no longer the shawl who was a teenager, pure and sweet and obedient, without cunningness and without fear of the populace. Now in my old age, I have been living in a world of Aleita Einah, you cannot prophesy in that world. You cannot properly relate to that world. A world that leads And this is what the prophet tells us. He took off his clothes. He had to fall naked. Not the way he prophesied the first time. In contradistinction to what happened so many years before. And only when he took off the Aleitena and he broke down before God, only when he recognized his life now was filled with the trailet of tichla, of meaningless, of self-centeredness, of haughtiness, only then could he start to climb up the ladder again and once again achieve trailet of Shemayim, of Rekiah, of the Ramban, of the Gemara, of Menachat, only then could he achieve the Katnat R, only then could he put on the Talat, and that's the difference between the two times Shol HaMelech prophesied. Go further. Meritik or not, David, this is material rabbi, preacher, teacher, machanech, NCSY, Kiruv. There isn't an audience that can not be inspired with these magnificent words. And here we go further. It's unbelievable. And the truth is, the Rav said, what were the sins of Shaul? What broke him down? What misled him? What was the fault. I mean, Shalach HaMelech is a tragic figure. 
perhaps one of the most tragic figures in Tanakh. So much hope. Sheikh Mola Malami Kol Ha'am. So much purity. And look what winds up happening. Not listening to God, Amalek. Haman comes out of that foolish act. The people, the populace, ultimately the hatred of David HaMelech, practically the murder of David HaMelech. What went wrong? And the Rav said so beautifully. You know what went wrong? Shal HaMelech had one tremendous basic flaw in his personality. He loved his big day kahuna. He loved the beautiful aleitaina he was wearing. He wanted to remain king, but not just the king. He wanted to be a popular king. And I tell you, I tell you in parentheses, this description of Shal HaMelech, this is exactly a politician. Exactly. I'll never forget. Zvulenhammer once sent for me. I was a cure. Why does Zvulenhammer, I don't mix with politicians. He said to me, he heard, this must have been late 70s, early 80s, I don't remember exactly when. But people told him that Aaron Rakefer has a lot of influence in the Anglo-Saxon world and in part of the Michala world. Because after all, you know, I was teaching Michala many years, the Israeli girls, many of these girls are today important people, great machancha, teachers, etc. And I did have a certain amount of influence. So Zvulenhammer sent for me. And here is little Ani Rothkoff coming in to meet a master politician. He was then Saha Chinuch already, because I remember I met him in the Misrata Chinuch right next to Meish Sharim. And he told me to agree. I was amazed. He said he wants to know what the people think. Because a politician, and he said it to me black and white, a politician has to construct his viewpoints in accordance to what the people on the street want. What the populace wants is what they have to get from a politician. And George, I know what he wanted out of me. I figured it out within a second. He wanted to know whether our Rabbi Lichtenstein's dovishness has troops and followers or whether it's better for him to remain a semi-hawk because Rakefit's hawkishness has more troops and followers. Understand? Who has more soldiers to deliver on the Day of Judgment, May 17th, Election Day? Understand me, David? And he was blunt. He was honest. I couldn't believe it. I walked out. I appreciated it. Then I met more politicians because of other reasons, and I saw that this is a streak that runs through politicians like like the middle bar that ran through the Berea Chatichon that ran through the Mishkan. Politicians, very few have their own minds to speak. Whatever they feel, they color, compromise, alter, configurate in accordance with the will. They take the pulse of the masses. The Rav here, when, when I worked out at Sulhammer, I repeated these words to myself. I said, Rebbe, will you write the Rub's description of Shal HaMelech? He loved his clothes. He loved being king. 
He loved the authority. He loved the position. But he wanted to be a popular king. The people should love him. And this was the tragic flaw in his kingship and in his character. And what were his sins? Look at his sins. Sin number one, Shmuel Aleph, Perik Yud Gimel, Pasuk Chet, Vayochel Shevat Yamim Lamoed Asher Shmuel, Velo Ba Shmuel HaGilgal, Vayafetzam Meyalav, Vayom Shaul, Hagishu Elai Holava HaShlamim, Vyal HaOlah. And that's a classic description. Shmuel is coming. You have to wait for the prophet. The people got restless. They thought Shmuel is not on time. Their reckoning was wrong. They thought the start of the day, not the end of the day. The people started to scatter. The king was disgraced. Imagine a political rally. You know what's happening on the Israeli scene now. Shachak went into, uh, I wasn't in Israel yet. I was in Chutzlaretz. He went into, what was it, the Carmel Market. He was booed. He was shouted. Oh, when David Levy took him to the marketplace in Haifa, David Levy sent advanced troops, 100 black-looking guys that rallied and shouted and yelled for, for Shachak and David Levy. Long live the kings of Israel. Well, not Shachak. Who do I have? Barak. I'm confused. David Levy. Oh, we Shachak went in with Mordechai. Shachak from the sun, they were booed out of realm. I'm right, I'm telling it to you as a word. Shachak went to Kamel and Mordechai, they were booed from here to high heaven. But David Levy planned it right. Oh boy, the goon squad went ahead of him. As someone said on the radio on Friday morning, one of the political announcers, analysts of Israel, he said, David Levy surrounded by individuals that you don't like to disagree with them because they'll put you six foot under within a second flat if you don't cheer and jump for David Levy in front of the TV cameras in the market. These guys, David Levy, he knows how to do it. That's a politician. It's, it's only, you have an election that's not communism these are politicians these are goon squads it's only communism if you got to vote for that party but here you're going to have 15 parties to vote for but believe me when you saw it on TV what a difference Shachak being assaulted by that Jew with the Yamaka, the Jose Bechuva in the Carmel market in contradistinction to Levi being cheered David Melech Yisrael Chayvakayim by 100 black-looking Moroccans that won't have to wear a picture of Rav Ovadja with the Rav on their jackets on Wednesday. You understand the difference? This is Shal HaMelech. Fabulous. He wanted to be popular. The people are walking away. They're saying to the king, we waited long enough. He's not, the prophet is not showing. You're full of baloney. We're not interested in you. Keep your sacrifices. The show, keep your meat. We don't need the freebies. You understand? This was a free, this was a meal. This was something, this was like a breakfast at the Hilton Hotel. Shaul saw that. Prophet is less important than the people. People are starting to scatter. Pull them back. We're not going to wait for the prophet. Make the feast. The freebies are ready. The food is here. We're, 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 we're broiling the meat. Join us. Oh, this was the flaw in his character. 
He wanted to be popular. He took the pulse of the masses. He didn't listen ultimately to the Devar Hashem. He wanted the people to applaud him. And this is exactly Amalek. What happened with Amalek? Shmuel Aleph, Perik Tetvav, Pasuk Tet, Vayach Moshol Am Alagag, what are the key words here? Underline, as the Rev would say, underline the word Vaha'am. The people said to him, King Saul, are you crazy? We're going to destroy beautiful sheep, beautiful cattle. What's the matter with you? We're going to slaughter Agag. He was our enemy. We've captured him. Rejoice in his capture. What's happening with you, Shal HaMelech? Show him off to the people. Re-educate him. Retrain him. Send him to a, a, a reform school to convert. What's the matter with you? And Shal listened. Listen to the people. Wouldn't destroy the cattle, the sheep, the king. The prophet told him this was the word of God. You had to destroy every last item from Amalek. Shaul couldn't do it. Shaul couldn't bring himself to do it. Shaul did not want to lose popularity. Shaul did not want to stop the masses from cheering and applauding him. Shaul did not understand that the masses, the Am, the people, are no more than a fig leaf. And ultimately, the masses can be of no help to the king if God and his messenger and prophet, Shmuel Hanavi, are not with him. And the Rev said something married the care. Look what happens. Finally, Shmuel comes. The prophet comes, and the prophet is very disappointed, very upset. The masses are feasting. They didn't wait for him. They brought the carbon. Shmuel Aleph, Perik Tetvav, Pasuk Kapsayim. Vayesev Shmuel Alechet. Vayechazak. Very interesting. Shmuel comes, rebukes Shaul, reprimands him, reads him a bitter black prophecy. Your character traits will never let you remain king. You just have that terrible, treacherous trait within you that has undermined you, that you want to be popular at all costs. And Shmuel turns away and he leaves. And a cloak is ripped. And there's a tremendous machlok at Hamafashim here, no? Who ripped who? One pshat, Shaul ripped Shmuel's cloak. Trying to hold him back. Don't leave me. Don't desert me. Don't run away from me. It's like a, a, a husband trying to hold on to a wife, a child, a parent, in, in their anguish, 
that they ripped part of the clothes. Don't desert me. Don't leave me. Another pshat. Shaul HaMelech. He didn't do the ripping. Shmuel HaNabi did the ripping. He was so angry at him that he simply ripped his clothes as a sign of mourning. You're worthless. You've lost. You're a sinner. Your kingdom is gone. Ripped his clothes and walked away. Ripped Shaul's kingly garment. And the rub said, a third pshat, a beautiful pshat. No, you know what the pshat may be? It could very well be that the prophet simply ripped his own clothes. And he said to Shol HaMelech, you think you're so great, you think you're so wonderful, you put all this stress on being popular, You will do anything not to lose your status, not to lose your life, not to lose your position. No, he said. Ultimately, only the word of God wins out. And a Jew, a servant of God, has to know how to rip his own clothes at times. Clothes aren't everything. Kingship isn't everything. You can imagine the conversation Shaul probably said to Shmuel, don't you want to remain a prophet? You don't want to give up your position. Why are you angry at me? How can I be king if the people are not with me? If the masses are not applauding me? If the masses are not bowing down to me? If the masses are not heeding my words? How can I remain king? Don't you want to remain a prophet? And at that moment, Shmuel said to him, you fool, I rip my prophecy, I rip my clothes, I rip if compromise is the key to my continued position, I give it up immediately. That's what must win out. That's what must last. That is the ultimate. And that's the Rabs Pshat. It's, it's Dashanut, but it's beautiful. Because you'll see, there's a Machlaikit Rashi, the Matsudas, you'll see the Pshatim, either Shol rip Shmuel's clothes or Shmuel rip Shol's clothes. And the Rav says, no, it can be very simple that as Shmuel started to walk away and Shaul was pleading with him, why are you angry? Why are you upset with me? I want to be popular. I'm doing nothing wrong. It's the people. I want to retain my job. Don't you want to remain a prophet? Don't you understand that your position is dependent upon the will, the obedience of the masses, the adoration of the masses? And at that moment... The great Shmuel Hanavi said, you fool, you ingrate, you lowlife. I'll rip my cloak of leadership rather than surrender to the masses against the word of God. And that's the Pshat and the Pasek. Vayesav Shmuel Alechet, the same Shmuel, Vayechazek Beknav Milo, his own clothes. And he ripped it to teach a lesson, to leave instruction and guidance for future generations. And finally, and this of course, what I'm about to say is, it's from the Vilna very famous. And the truth of the matter is, the Rav said, 
Dover HaMelech and Shal HaMelech both were engaged in terrible sins. All of us know. Shal HaMelech HaMolech the Sheva Yamim but HaMolech certainly terrible, terrible sin. The hatred of David the Redifa the attempted murder. But David HaMelech also had a very difficult record. But Sheva and it's interesting. Both of them did tshuva. Both of them repented. And yet, Shal HaMelech, gone and forgotten. Relegated to the dustbin of history. Dabar HaMelech, until every day, until this very moment. Dabar Avdecha. Kedusha, Davening, Kiddush HaChodesh, David Melech Yisrael, Chai V'Kayim, Mashiach Zidkeinu. Why? Why was one's tshuva so far-reaching, so accepted, so powerful, so efficient? The efficacy of David's tshuva was overwhelming. And Shal HaMelech, who also did Shuvah, didn't succeed. Shmuel Aleph, Perik Tetvav, Pasuk Haftalid, Vayom Shal El Shmuel, Chatati, Ki Avati Et Pi Hashem V'yetvarecha, Ki Yareti Et Ha'am V'yashma B'Kolam, Pasuk Hafei, Vata Sona Et Chatati, V'shuvi Mi, V'yashtachavel Hashem. Look, are you too long sucking? Too long sucking. And 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 look, even in the Shiva, he remains the same Shaul Hamelach. See, he can't shake that character fault. Vatasanet Khatati Vishuv imi Veshtachavah Lahashem. Understand? Be with me. Let the public see. Let Very interesting. See, that character fault with all the tshuva, it remained with him. Couldn't shake it. Wanted to be popular at all costs. Very fascinating. By the way, what I just said now, I added just this minute. This is something I never heard from the Rav, and I didn't hear from the Vilna Gaon, but I, it hit me between the eyes. Veshma b'kolam. Sanet chatati. Veshuvi me. Veshtachavala Hashem. Don't leave me. Keep me in the public limelight. Now look at David. Look at David. Shmuel bet. Perik yud bet. Pasuk yud gimel. This is the goal now. What comes in the middle of the Pasuk? Who knows? A big round dot, what we call a Piskah. And after the Piskah, everything changes. Gam Hashem Hevir Chatatcha. 
low kamut. What's going on here? What's that pishka? It's one pasuk. Here, David is talking. A second later, Natan Hanavi is talking, and the pishka is in the middle. And the Gon explained. This is the heart of understanding the difference between the tshuva of Shol HaMelech and the tshuva of Davar HaMelech. David really wanted to say a long tshuva. David did not lack for words. David was the Neim's Mirat Yisrael. David wrote the Hillim. David could have gone on endlessly. And he wanted to, and he intended to. And he was loquacious. And he was effective. And he was influential. And when he started to speak, he broke down entirely. He was overwhelmed by emotion, by honesty. In our words, Pshitat Bogadam. Took off his clothes, recognized the Aleitena, couldn't go further. The Pishkar, according to the Vilnagon, represents all that David wanted to say and couldn't say. He recognized, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to say? What am I going to add? What am I going to justify? I've done a terrible, horrible sin. I have fooled myself. I sent Uri out to battle, to die. I coveted this woman. He went down Lamamakim. And at that moment, the prophet breaks in. God understands that there's total pshitat begadim. God understands you've totally removed the aleitena. HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgives you. The prophet tells him that on the spot. And that is the tremendous difference between Shal HaMelech to Davar HaMelech. Shal could yet go on two tremendous psukim. And within the psukim you can still see that that character floor remains. And popularity is all important. And making a public appearance with the prophet in front of the adoring and and adulation of the masses is all critical. And with all that has happened, Shaul HaMelech has not basically changed and remains the same individual Labriyut that listened to the people when it came to Amalek, when it came to Agag, when it came to bringing the sacrifices, waited seven days, they couldn't wait any longer. Shmuel has not come, the people are scattering, the king is losing his, his subjects. It's the same Shaul. With all his regret, I don't take away the fact he regretted. It's no question. There was Shiva. But it wasn't the tshuva of Davar HaMelech. Davar HaMelech, Yerad Makim. Pisker in the middle of the Pasuk. And then the Prophet tells him the wonderful news. God has totally forgiven you. And you go on to remain, Davar HaMelech. The Tchelet of Tichla will enable you to rise to the Tchelet of Shlemot. The Tchelet of Rekia, the Tchelet of Rashamayim, the Tchelet of Kisra Kavod, the Tchelet of the Ramban, the Gemarin Menachat, Dafnim Dalad. And you know something the Rab said? David finally did, did, did say, Vidui. 
long afterwards, when he regained his composure, then he sat down and wrote, Perik Nunalaf of Tehillim, Lamanetzeich Mizmole David, Bevoelav Natananavi, Kashaba El Batsheva. And look at that Mizma, look at the beautiful words. He wanted to say that originally. When the prophet came, he wanted to break into a loquacious, poetic description of Tshuva. And he did it long afterwards. But at that moment, the Pshita Tabagadim was total, complete, and instantaneous. And that's what the prophet tells him. God recognizes the Pisgah. He has forgiven your sin. Later, later, much later, Perak was written. Shal HaMelech, had he had David's lyrical ability, poetical ability, writing ability, he would have written Perak on the spot, Bishat Maaseh. And that's the difference. And that's why Shal HaMelech, although HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepts him into heaven, you will know afterwards, with the battle, and you'll be with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Shmuel tells him, he was forgiven, he was accepted, but he only remains Shal HaMelech. And David HaMelech, David Melech Yisrael, Chai V'Kayam. And finally today, look at the Psak of the Rambam. The Rambam Paskins Lahalacha. Hilchat Shiva, Perik Bet, Halacha Chet, Vidui shenahagu boko Yisrael, avol anachnu chatanu v'hu ikach avidui. What is the Rambam saying here? Rambam is saying the vidui that Klal Yisrael is no heig. What is the vidui? Avol anachnu chatanu bruchatam menuchlam shkorau. What's the Rambam saying? What's, what, what is he driving at? And the Rev said so beautifully. You study Hilchat, that Shiva, Perik Aleph, Perik Bet, till you reach Kalacha Chet. So many details of Shiva. So much is involved. The Yava, the Charata, the Kabbalah Latid. So much is spelled out. But the Rambam says, when it finally comes to the moment of Vidui, the person has to break down totally. And all he can say, Anachnu Chatanu, Vizecha Ikar. This is the Ikar. This is the Pshitat Habagadim. The Rambam is trying to tell us HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not overly impressed with the individual who in the moment of Vidu can start writing Perut Nunalaf of Tehillim. I went to YU. I went to college. I went to graduate school. I wasted endless time. I messed around. I went to Broadway shows. Listed out. A whole YU environment. I believed in central orthodoxy. Centrist orthodoxy. I attacked the right wing. I poked fun at the Jewish observer. The whole litany will spell out. Chatati. God doesn't like that. Oh, no. That's not, that's not a real breakdown. That's not a real pshitat abogadim. You still have the time, the thing to do. Leave out the example I just gave now, which I gave tongue-in-cheek. Imagine a guy is saying, yes, 
I became a machalu Shabbos, and there was no clean available in Trefat, and it was boiled bilata surat, and I went to every house of ill repute, and suddenly as the guy saying it, he's thinking, oh, I had a good time, it was great, it was wonderful, it was here, it was there, it was everywhere. Oh, but then finally I came back, I heard a lecture, it moved me, I don't want to live like an animal anymore, so I decided to give it a try. That's not a vita. All right, with the Eved, it's like Shal HaMelech. It'll get you. It'll get you over the over the field goal. It'll get you over the uh, outfield wall. All right, you'll get into heaven like Shal Hamelach. But that's not a proper vitoy. The words of the Rambam said, the, every word is golden. After he listed out so much, and after he said so much, when it comes down to the actual vitoy, the less you say, the better. The more concise you are, the more contrite you are. The, the sharper you are, the more it shows. Your heart is broken. You cannot think. You cannot detail. Those two words. These three little words. Leave out the aval. That's what the Rambam is saying. That's the Psak of the Rambam. And that's the lesson we derive from Shal HaMelech, from David HaMelech, and that's the lesson we derive. Ah. And this is why the Chut always has to be in our clothes. It's constantly there. Constant reminder. Because a person can often make that mistake. Clothes, how do we say it? Clothes make the man. The invitations, black tie, clothes, dignity, black tie, can fool yourself. And you must have that trailer. Or eat the motto and remember its message. And think about the tichla and the kilyon and the shikul and the foolishness and the ni'ila. And if you understand the trelet and understand this message, you'll understand very well that many times clothes do not make the man. They destroy the man. Don't be led astray. Don't be misinformed. Don't fool yourself. Don't rationalize. See past the clothes. See the trailet and understand your true place in life. Understand the Begit Hamatsu Yetzet, what its message is, how to rise, how to come back to God, how to do tshuva, how to be honest. Vatit Palel Chana, Al Hashem, and not just El Hashem. And let me reiterate. Powerful or not, what do you say, Jack? The Rav, this is the Rav. But what makes it so much more powerful is when he said it. And saying this is not Dashanut that he's saying, that he heard from his Zayda, that he heard from his father, the name of his Zayda. This is living life experience. In Roshon Afalti, Shivlo Kamti. If it wouldn't be Choshech, we couldn't appreciate the earth. As we said last week. So what did we do today? What did we do today? First of all, we explained why we have to wear talit when we daven. We went into Elkanah 
and Chana. I hold that to be the high point of the Shiva Tetpalel. Al Hashem. The whole way the Rav explained what went on the years before. And it's just normal mortal human beings. Isn't this our natural instinctive reaction? We comfort. It'll be good, it'll be fine, it'll be wonderful. And then if you can't change, you have a student who has problems and you see this is, this fellow is never going to pass the exam. So you have to tell him, look, you'll do something else. You know, you don't have that ability. And at that moment, the person breaks and he recognizes, only Hashem can help me. No one else can help me. And that's the beauty. Zohar kol hanishkachat atahu meyolam. Beautiful. And then we went in to the Pshitat HaBagadim. Shol Hanavi is a prophet twice. Once with his clothes on and once rolling on the floor, nude and naked before God. We explained the difference. And what were the sins? And we analyzed Shol's character. Shol's shortcomings. Popularity. Don't forget my story about Svulun Hammer. I walked out of there. I tell you, I said, Rebbe, did you hit the nail on the head? I walked out, I was talking to myself, because this drasha, I, I, always, I always live with this drasha. I, I couldn't get over it. And he was honest, he said to me, I want to know what the people think. Show Hamelech. And that was his terrible fault, terrible flaw. And, and, and politicians have this flaw. It's the nature of the beast. It could be democracy and being popular and, and, and having all these primaries. You understand? It's the nature of the beast. I'm not faulting them. I just call you attention to a reality. And this is why I get upset. Saturday night, people said to me, uh, very simply, did you ever meet an honest politician? Why is it this way? We're talking about religious Jews. And I said, very simply, that's an unfair question. If a Rebbe is dishonest, you have a right to ask that question. If a Rebbe values his clothes and wants to be popular and doesn't say the Devar Hashem, then you can ask that question. But these are politicians. They're not rebellious. It's the nature of the beast. This is Shal HaMelech. And this is the greatness of David. His Shiva, total breakdown. The Piskah. And these are the words of the Rambam. Avalanachnu Okay. Uh, Jack, you have to do two things. One tape to play and one tape to record. Okay? This side too. Uh, but don't start until I say a few words of introduction. Unbelievable what I found here. Unbelievable. Yeah, the other side is playing. Positive. Positive. 